Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association Preventative Health Podcast. I'm a pediatrician and a proud JOMA member, and I'm really excited to be here today with Rivki Chudnoff. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Rivki has over 20 years of experience specializing in the treatment of women's health-related issues and pelvic floor dysfunction with a focus on pelvic pain, unconsummated marriages, prenatal and postpartum care, and incontinence. I'm going to say from the get-go that this is a confidential kind of sensitive topic, um, and you know this is for mature audiences. Rifke has written extensively on women's health issues and presented on pelvic health internationally at marriage retreats, community events, and to physicians and sexual educators. Rifke has worked closely with rabbis and kala teachers to create specialized treatment plans that meet the religious needs of her clients. Rifke is an instructor for the Herman and Wallace Pelvic Institute, where she provides continuing education for healthcare professionals in the area of pelvic health. Rifke sees patients at her private practice in Teaneck, New Jersey, I'm going to give your um, information. Should I give all of this information? I have whatever you like. I have a, a website which is hamakom pt h a m a k o m p t as in physicaltherapy.com. and also your email. Should I give that? Sure, go for okay. it. I'm going to spell it R I V K I C H U D N O F F at gmail.com. You know, because listeners may have questions, they may want to seek you out. So I do try to give the resource. Absolutely. Um, and if they don't, if personal they, sound, they don't want me to give that one. I'm sorry. You know what? If they, if they don't get a response from me, like it could be, it just got lost in my email. So please be persistent. If I don't answer your question, okay. email me again. I'm not trying to ignore you. <laughs> you got it. So I'm really glad you actually pursued me on this. Cause I'm going to admit, this is something I know nothing about and I don't, you know, I'm going to have you lead the way here. But I'm hearing about pelvic floor all the time. I've seen a time. I've seen Achiezer is having a whole program on this. You know, Joma did something on it. Um, why, what is the pelvic floor and why is it such a hot topic right now? Please. Absolutely. Um, so to, uh, I guess to explain what the pelvic floor is. So if you're sitting on a chair, you're sitting on your pelvic floor. Um, we define the pelvic floor really is um, the area between the vagina and the anus. And I'll be using medical terminology um, for today's talk. Um, but basically it's, it's the area that you're sitting on. If you're sitting on a chair, the area between the vagina and the anus, and also the walls of the pelvis, the inside of the hips, if you're, you know, if it to be more, um, to be more descriptive. And so that area of the body has a lot of nerves and muscles. It, that area contains a lot of organs are housed within the pelvis, um, like the uterus, the rectum, the bladder, responsible for urination, um, bowel movements, um, and carrying babies are all being supported by those muscles that surround the vagina and the anus. And what happens is, is that I think a lot of people don't realize that um, 
that the part of that part of our body has nerves and muscles, just like your arm or your elbow or your shoulder. So it really, it can have problems if those muscles are have not working the way we want them to do, whether they're too tight or whether they're what we call overactive. They're, you know, tightening when we don't want them to, or if they're too loose or if they're too wobbly, um, all kinds of problems. If those muscles are not working the way, just like if your elbow or your shoulder um, was giving you problems and not doing, you know, you're not able to schlep your groceries or you're not able to lift your toddler because your shoulder is hurting you. So too, you can, we can have problems in that area. Um, I, thankfully, um, I think that this part of the body has gained a lot of um, attention, I think in the last 20, 25 years, um, not because women have just suddenly discovered that they're having problems in this part of the body. I think that our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers just accepted mm -hmm. that, you know, sex hurts when after you have a few babies, you're going to leak urine, you're going to, you know, that's just what happens. Your organs start to, you know, maybe their organs start to fall out. Mm -hmm. Maybe you um, have trouble controlling gas. Um, maybe your hips hurt, maybe you're wobbly and your balance isn't so good anymore. And that's just part of life. That's just, you know, if you're a woman, suck it up, buttercup, that's what's going to happen to you. And that's the, that's the course of life. And that's happened to my mother and my grandmother. It's what happened to all of us. And I think that um, thankfully um, we, are, our generation, I always say, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants and that each generation, I think, learns from the next a little bit more. And this area of women's health and this area of um, pelvic health has really developed and grown over the last 20 to 30 years. When I went to physical therapy school in the, in the 90s, they barely talked about it, not because it didn't exist, but because the, the, the field was so emerging, there wasn't so much going on now. And I think even when I started practicing, um, you know, and I started going out to doctors and telling them about what I do, and, you know, certainly there were doctors and you know, OBGYNs who knew about it, but many of them, I was going out there and telling them, you know, why their patients needed pelvic health physical therapy or, you know, what kind of patients, you know, if you have a patient who's complaining they're leaking urine, please refer them to me. I can help them. If you have a patient who's having a lot of pain with a gynecological exam, I can help them. If you have a, pain who's, a patient who's having pain with sex, I can help them. Um, or having any kinds of aches and pains after pregnancy, you know, or during pregnancy, I can help them. And I was really educating a lot of um, physicians who maybe didn't even know about it or didn't know that this could really do anything or help. And I think now, um, when I, when I um, teach other physical therapists or about, you know, pelvic health physical therapy, um, what they're finding is that they're going out to physicians and they're having to explain to them why they should choose them wow. as, the, as the pelvic health physical therapy they refer their patients to. So the whole, you know, that, you know, I think most OBGYNs today um, are getting education about the benefits of pelvic health physical therapy. So I think as a community, um, even as healthcare providers, we know so much more and certainly the media has played a great role in drawing attention to the benefits of pelvic health physical therapy that people didn't know about 30 years ago. You know, it used to be 30, 40 years ago, if a woman was pregnant um, and went into her doctor and said, you know, my back hurts, my side hurts, my hip hurts. Um, they would say, yeah, when you deliver the baby, you're gonna feel better. Um, and there wasn't a lot that he could offer the patients, which was frustrating for the doctor and frustrating for the patient, or I'd leak urine. Well, you know, there's surgery or this medication. Um, but there's, I think, I think OBGYNs and midwives and anyone who deals with women in general from a healthcare perspective are so happy to be able to offer their patients something else, you know, maybe less invasive to try, um, before medication or surgery. Certainly there's an indication in a time for surgery and I'm married to no full disclaimer. I'm married to an OBGYN. Mm -hmm. There certainly is a time for surgery and medication, but oftentimes it's something that could be helped 
you know, like from a non-invasive perspective with physical therapy. Um, so I think that, you know, we learn so much more and we know so much more and people are talking about it, which is wonderful. And I think uh, particularly in the Orthodox community, we're so tsenua, um, and we're so private about our sexual lives. You know, generally we, you know, people are not sitting around the water cooler going, you know, I'm not going to believe sex was so painful last night. My neighbors could hear me screaming. It was so painful. That's just not our way. Right. Um, and I think if women are suffering, you know, if, 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 if God forbid you hurt your shoulder, you would say to your neighbor, "Ugh, you know, I, I hurt my shoulder. And she'd say to you, oh, my sister-in-law, she also hurt her shoulder. She went to the best doctor. She went to the best physical therapist. They helped her so much. But if somebody's having pain with sex, you know, uh, hopefully they're asking for help or looking for help, but we're much more um, private about it. And people are not just standing around in the carpool line going, you're not going to believe how much sex hurt last night. Mm -hmm. um, so, or my daughter is having terrible pain with sex or she can't have, you know, consummate her marriage because she's having sex. People are very, um, and, but I think that as we raise awareness and women realize that there's help, they don't have to suffer, whether it's urinary incontinence, leaking urine, or whether it's pain, um, all these issues, that there's something that can be done and there's help that's out there. Um, it's, it's really a wonderful thing that the awareness in our community and in the healthcare world at large has really improved. Right. That is really, really amazing. Can we start with, you know, cause I think this affects women throughout their life. Absolutely. So I had a little bit, I, you could talk all day about this and this is awesome. <laughs> I could just sit back and learn from you, but I want to start with, you know, you mentioned unconsummated marriages. So I feel like that's probably one of the first problems that you're going to be called in for. Am I correct? Yeah. You know what I always say is that if a woman is leaking urine and she's been leaking urine for 20 years, the urgency with which she's going to go to the doctor to have something taken care of, like, you know, it's, you know, they've been suffering with it and, you know, it's less urgent, but when, and, and certainly important, you know, certainly from a dignity perspective, certainly from, and I, I think it's a very important issue. Um, and I certainly am able to help them with that. But I think that when a couple is in distress, um, because they're having, they're struggling with having sex for the first time. Um, and it can take a tremendous toll on them um, because it's not what they bargained for. It's not what they thought was going to happen. Um, it's not what they thought was going to happen. Now, I will preface this by saying, you know, if the couple is not having, you know, it's not catastrophic. If the couple is very happy and finding their way through their li their intimate lives together, you know, assuming that they're not sexually active before marriage, um, and they're just, you know, getting to know each other and they're enjoying each other's company and there's no stress, you know, it's not a catastrophe. Like let them, you know, as long as everybody is happy going at that pace, I think that when tensions start to arise, when, you know, there's a lot of anxiety or tension developing because there's a lot of stress that this is not working the way that they thought it would, um, that absolutely this is a case where, you know, it, it makes a huge help if we can get in there and offer the couple some help um, with physical therapy. It could be a game changer and it could just relieve, they don't have to be suffering and struggling like that um, with the proper instruction and proper you know, care. Do you discuss this with college teachers? Cause I'm thinking just for a young woman to know that this could happen and what to do so they don't you know, suffer in silence. Absolutely. Um, I, one of my biggest missions, I think in the last 15 years has been reaching out to Kala teachers, um, reaching out to Yotzat Halakha, um, being able to um, talk to them about, um, you know, even at the stage before they're married, um, kind of screening them, you know, if starting there, like, don't wait till the wedding night. You know, if you have, you know, I, I do a tremendous amount of college teacher education. You know, if you have a couple, if you have a woman where she um, 
you know, has difficulty with badika cloths. If she's practicing badika before her wedding and she can't get her finger inside to do a badika, that might be, you know, some reason for concern because, you know, intercourse is going to be a lot more, is going to be a lot more of an experience of something right. going inside than the badika cloth. So kind of screening um, potential, you know, women before they get married to see that they might, you know, if they had difficulty, you know, with, you know, with a badika cloth or if they've attempted to insert, I know some women don't, use tampons before they get married, but if they are, have tried to use a tampon and they've been unsuccessful or a tampon was painful, these might be um, signs that maybe there's some oversensitivity or tightness in that area that, you know, perhaps a little bit of physical therapy before the wedding might be really helpful for that. Right. I have to plug something for a minute. <laughs> Please. I did a podcast with um, Dr. Uh, Alyssa Marciano, I'm not sure which is that is her name she uses now, Hellman, Marciana, Marciana Hellman. Um, she calls herself the Confident Kala, and that was the title of our talk. Do you know her? I know, I follow her Instagram. Oh, <laughs> she's a big, she's a big advocate for public health physical therapies. Exactly. So people who listen to this talk who want to know more about this particular stage, we did talk about tampon use um, and young girls becoming confident, you know, uncomfortable with their bodies. And she does offer a service, a premarital kind of GYN telehealth service, um, giving a little plug for her now. That was, by the way, our most popular podcast episode. We had wonderful. a lot of listens to it. So I think I, I just had to put a plug in for that. And they'll go no. but, but since we're, we're stopping for a minute, I do want to make sure we explain what exactly would be the cause of this unconsummated marriage. When you're talking about not being able to insert a tampon, not being able to insert even a finger, what is happening to the pelvic floor? Right. So that's a good question. Sometimes, like you said, it's a lack of understanding or awareness mm -hmm. or knowledge of our own anatomy. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, specific to the from community um, where we're not sexually active generally before marriage um, and it's not encouraged for women to, you know, self-exploration um, is oftentimes not encouraged. Um, women don't really know their own anatomy and they don't really know where their vaginal opening is even. So if you take a woman like that, who doesn't really even know where her vaginal opening is. And I mean, she knows maybe, you know, she, she thinks that in between the labia inside the lips that that is the opening. And then you try to have her meet up, you know, have a wedding night with a, with a, with a, a chassin who also doesn't know where her vaginal opening is. You know, sometimes it's just an anatomy issue. Sometimes it's just a self-aware, in the best case scenario, it's just an anatomy issue. They really need knowledge. They need to understand each of their anatomies and, you know, and how they work. I think it's just equally important for a woman going into marriage to understand physiologically how their own bodies work, where their own vaginal opening is, the difference between their labia and the, the introitus, the opening of the vagina, um, understanding that the labia, the lips open up and that there's the labia majora, the, the outer lips. And then there's the labia minora, which are the inner lips, which may be longer, smaller, or larger than the outer lips where the hair grows. And then only when you pull both of those back can you find the opening to the vagina actually where intercourse is meant to happen. Some women don't know that. Um, and, um, and also for them to understand the physiology of a, men's of a man's penis and what goes on during arousal and ejaculation and intercourse. And I think, um, you know, to send a couple off into their happy life together with a lack of this knowledge is just unfair. Mm -hmm. and, and many, listen, many times it works out. You know, I, many times people said, you know, my grandmother, she didn't know anything and they had 25 kids and mm -hmm. she had no problems. Yes, and many women and many couples 
for whatever reason, they figure it out and it's great. But for the couples who maybe are a little bit more anxious or, you know, that kind of knowledge in of itself will give them more confidence and make them feel more comfortable about what's about to happen. Um, and, you know, being able to relate to their spouse mm-hmm. and develop this new dimension to their relationship as a married couple. Um, So I think that the first line of defense is really education, both the male and the female to understand, you know, their own anatomy. And sometimes treatment in my office can just consist of that, Mm -hmm. of helping a woman look in the mirror. I think, I think all women before, you know, all women in general, I think should be taught to hold a, a hand mirror to their, to their vaginal area and just understand what that part of their anatomy is. It's their body. It's mm-hmm. their body that, you know, Hashem created them with. And it's just as much as at their elbow. And, you know, granted there's pr- appropriate and inappropriate places to be looking at your pelvic floor, you know, um, you know, in the privacy of their own room or their own bathroom, they should be encouraged to find it, see what's going on down there. Um, and I, so, so right. So, so for some people, I think it's an education piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think what you're asking is, you know, about the medical conditions that could be caused. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, if you're referring to like, you know, you know, so I think that many times um, people get scared by, you know, they'll go to their doctor um, and the doctor will tell them you have vaginismus, mm-hmm. you have vulvodynia, you have vulvar vestibulitis, you have a thousand V names that we've given to pelvic pain. There's, you know, many, many different definitions, many, many different um, diagnoses within the pelvic pain um, spectrum. Um, and I, you know, dyspareunia, which means that they're having painful intercourse or inability to have intercourse. So, um, women may be having pain. They may be having pain, um, when they attempt to put something in, whether it's their finger or a tampon or to have intercourse, um, or they may be able to have intercourse, but it's extremely painful for them. Maybe during intercourse, maybe for hours after intercourse, um, And then you have women who maybe had no pain their whole lives with intercourse, but then they have a baby. Maybe they had, um, you know, they had a really bad tear during intercourse, during, I'm sorry, during um, delivery. Um, Or maybe they have hormonal changes with menopause or with cancer treatments um, that have changed the integrity of the tissue down there. And for the first time in their lives, they're also suffering with painful intercourse. Um, So for each of these women, the reason why they're having the pain may be different. but can we define those things? Because, you know, I think if women hear the name, they're going to want to know what that is. Absolutely. You're talking about the different definitions. Vaginismus. Absolutely. I think the most important thing for women to know if they get that kind of diagnosis is that it's treatable, mm-hmm. that there's help for that, not to be scared if they hear these words. Basically what it means for them is that they're having pain in their vagina. They're having pain down there. Um, Vaginismus refers more to uh, like a muscle spasm that happens um, when a tightening of that area, when something tries to come inside of it. So the way that I like to explain that is like, if you imagine, um, and then becomes painful. So their muscles start to tighten in anticipation of something being painful because the experience of that coming, something coming near it has been painful already once or twice. Um, And repeated attempts at having intercourse just makes it more and more painful each time. so I, you know, I liken that sometimes to uh, trying to put a contact lens into your eye for the first time. What happens? Like we know, right, exactly. Like we know that, you know, the eye is an extremely sensitive part of the body. Um, you know, you're taught since you're a baby that nothing goes in your eye. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, and then you go to the ophthalmologist's office and they ask you to do what? 
right? To put something, overcome this barrier of putting something into part of your area of your body that is so sensitive and delicate and has never really been touched. And I think for, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, Orthodox women, you know, they have nothing to do with their vagina before they get married. You know, there, you know, there's nothing going in or going out or happening down there. So that area is extremely sensitive. Um, and, you know, back to the ophthalmologist's office and you're trying to get that contact lens in your eye, right? So what do you do? You try to like, but what does your eye do when you try to get that lens in? <laughs> right, you're blinking, right? You're blinking, you're, you're the, the, sphincter, the muscles around your eye start to tighten in anticipation of something coming in. And you have to really override that um, inclination and allow something to go inside. Um, and I think for a lot of women, um, being able to allow something into that part of the body that is so sensitive that has never been touched before can, you know, can be very, very sensitive. Um, and then, you know, when you think about it, you know, the first day you finally, you finally, like, you know, you finally get your eye to open, relax. And uh, I hate to use the relax. You're, you're able to override your body's initial instincts to tighten and protect, right? Your body's doing you a favor. Your body's like, I got you, girl. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to tighten so that nothing bad comes in here that's going to hurt you. But you're like, no, no, I want to get these lenses in, but I really want to get this lens in my eye, right? You really want it. Um, what? It's an instinctive reflex. Yes, it's an instinctive reflex that, you know, Hashem created us with, you know, to protect us from, from a pen, a toddler coming at us with a pen towards our eye, right? So, um, and then let's say you get it in finally. And then you're like, the first, you know, 20 minutes hour, the first day you're wearing your lenses, it's like you're constantly aware of that lens in your eye. And if you don't wear contact lenses, you know, uh, if you think about the first, you know, you know, first time you wore a bra, like you're constantly aware of that bra and you're, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, if you've been wearing the contact lenses for comfortably for a few months, you know, a few years, you don't even notice your lenses are in your eye anymore. You're not so sensitive to anymore. You could pop them in, pop them out. And only when your eyes are dry or tired at the end of the day, you start to feel them. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it's not a great example, but I think that in terms of understanding how the muscles of the pelvic floor sometimes can tighten in anticipation of something going in, particularly if they've had a painful experience once. So um, if they've, you know, had a painful experience with attempting intercourse or several attempted intercourse that have been quote unquote unsuccessful or have not, you know, worked for them, they just become more and more, those muscles just keep tightening more and more and more. And that kind of becomes a cycle. They just be, you know, the muscles are tightening because they're sensitive. Um, and, you know, so you've got a few things going on at once. Um, so really part of what we do together in terms of treatment for that is really helping women, um, you know, telling somebody to relax. And I love this. I love when people come to me and they said, you know, they told me to have a glass of wine. Uh, they told me to just relax, you know, I should just relax. I should just relax. And I'm like, Over. if you've ever seen a toddler in, in Target at 5 p.m., you know, you know that telling that kid who wants that toy on the shelf to just relax, like nobody in the history of mankind has ever relaxed because you told them to relax. Like right. that doesn't work, you know, and, and our muscles, you know, are not going to relax just because we tell them to relax. Um, we really have to learn and be smarter and and about it and learn new strategies to help those muscles for us to be able to get those muscles to do what we want them to do. And women, it's extremely frustrating for women um, and upsetting um, who are having this problem because, or for the couple who are having this problem because they wanna have intercourse with their husband. They want for this to work. They, you know, they want this so badly and their muscles and their body is tightening. Um, it's spasming. It's causing them tremendous amounts of pain. 
They feel betrayed by their body. They feel inadequate. They feel like they're broken. You know, I've had women come in, it's a heartbreak come up and like, they think they're, they're broken. They think something's wrong with them. And then they get a diagnosis of some big fancy V word. And that just confirms for them that something is broken with them. Um, and I think the most important thing for women to know is it's common. Like there, you know, one third, you know, it's like one out of four women or something will have pelvic pain at some point in their life. And I think that women don't realize when women come in my office and they say to me, you know, have you ever seen somebody who has this before? And I'm like, we're not talking this is what I do right. all day long. But we're not and talking about it. Yeah. They don't talk about, it. we don't, it just like, we don't, you know, we don't talk about it in our community enough and people don't talk about it with their friends. And so they think they are the only person who's ever had pain or difficulty with sex. And and they, you know, they don't understand that they don't know that there are so many women who've had this problem and there's so many women. Um, it's such a common, it's not normal painful sex ever, but it's common. And I think, um, you know, for them to know that there's treatment and you can get better and people do get better and they are able to have intercourse that's pain free. Um, so, you know, not to take that as like some kind of horrible sentence. So right. I have to say to me before I forget though, as a please. physician, you know, it's so important to partner, right? To partner with a, from a physician to partner with you as the physical therapist, but vice versa. So anyone listening to this, if you're having this, you don't just go straight to a pelvic physical therapist. You must go to your physician because there can be many medical reasons for this. And yes. the way to know is to start with your physician. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm so glad you said that. Um, in New York and New Jersey, it used to be that you could only see a physical therapist, whether it was for your shoulder, your elbow, or your vagina, you mm. couldn't go to a physical therapist without a referral for a doctor, not just from insurance perspective, just legally. Mm. Um, New York and New Jersey, um, where I'm located, um, and other parts of the country have become what we call direct access, mm. which means that you can go to a physical therapist for any reason, um, without a referral from a physician for, I think, a few visits a month, whatever it is in each state, it's different. So it's extremely important. And I really, you know, feel strongly about this, that every woman before she becomes sexually active should see, you know, should see a gynecologist um, or a midwife or somebody, somebody who is going to look at, I never want to be a physical therapist should never be the first person to be examining a woman's pelvic floor or vagina. They should always be seeing a medical professional who can examine it and take a look and say, everything from a medical perspective is fine. You know, we don't ever want a physical therapist to be treating something that is beyond the scope of physical therapy. And we need a physician or a nurse practitioner or somebody who is, or a midwife who's trained to take a look and make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be, that there's no underlying medical condition that is not treatable by physical therapy. I listen, I think PT is the bomb. I think it's a great profession. I think we do amazing things but there's a limitation as to what physical therapy can treat. We don't ever want to be treating something that needs medical attention outside the scope. So absolutely, you know, I, every patient who comes to see me, I want to make sure that they've seen somebody who's done a gynecological exam on them before they come to see me. Um, and them to say everything is fine because there are hymenal abnormalities, a myriad of other diagnoses that need to be treated before they could come for physical therapy. Um, so I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, so yes, they should see somebody first before they come to see a physical therapist. And, um, and if the doctor says, you know, this is, you know, everything is fine, which is for the woman, it's frustrating because they want them to say, you have a terrible infection, you know, like, you know, it's, it's like medication and it will go away. right. Exactly. It's like when you, God forbid your kid has fever and you take him to the doctor and they say it's strep. You're so happy. It's strep. It's like, oh good antibiotics and we're home and it's done. And you know, listen, you don't want anything to be wrong with your kid, but you know, something that you could just easily treat and go home with is great. Simple. And something simple something simple and something that, you know, and, 
So in some ways they're happy to hear everything is fine from a medical perspective, but it's a tremendously frustrating because it, it makes them, they feel like, you know, invalidated, like I'm having all this pain. What do you mean? Everything is fine. Um, and the example I give people is, you know, if you ever have a pounding headache, like, like a migraine, God forbid, like the worst headache in the world. And, um, you know, somebody looks at your head and says, no, your head looks fine. There's nothing wrong with your head. Your head is perfectly normal. Everything is fine and healthy. Does that mean that you can't still be having a horrible, painful headache that's debilitating? Right, and there are things going on, but you may not be able to see what they are. You know, it's interesting that you right. bring this up because we did an entire talk on functional disorders. That was great. I listened to it. Oh, you did? Thank I you did. So it was much. wonderful. So this, you know, these can be examples of functional disorders. The pain is no less real just because we not, may not be able to isolate a specific biological correlate to it. Correct. So patients will like, you know, when I look at their pelvic floor muscles and I'm looking at their vaginal area and, uh, you know, and they say, is it, you know, they want me to tell them that I see something bizarrely abnormal or red or, or something wrong. And I'm like, you know, and I say, even if nothing looks out of place here, that doesn't mean that you can't be having horrible pain. Um, so I think that that's extremely important for people to know. Um, and I think a lot of times women with pelvic pain have been told that it's in their head. They've been told, oh, you just must not want to have sex. Maybe you don't really like your husband. Horrible things that, you know, they start to believe about themselves that are not true um, because, because pelvic pain is really misunderstood by a lot of people. Um, and um, so I think, you know, like you said, it's really, really important. Um, in terms of like vulvodynia, um, that's more like, a, you know, a, a, symptoms of that would be more like burning and rawness in the genital area. Um, it could be provoked or not provoked. It could be because, you know, something touching the area, you know, they, like you can't even wear underwear um, or it could be just comes on for no apparent reason. So it's more um, of an external sensitivity then. Um, it could be both. It could be external or internal, mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's unexplained pain around the opening. It's, it is more, it is more around the opening That's of the fair. vagina, but it can make sex really uncomfortable because mm -hmm. the penis has to enter towards the opening as well. Mm -hmm. So all of these, all of these conditions can cause sex to be painful. Um, so, you know, and oftentimes the treatment can be very similar, um, you know, in, from a physical therapy perspective, we're really just treating what the symptoms are, what the patient is presenting with. So, um, so outside of, of structural problems that we could see, right? Because we said, you know, you, you usually don't see it, but you will go to a physician or a gynecologist to rule it out. What could some of the causes of this be? Some of the causes of? Of all of these pain syndromes. I'm going to put it all, lump it no, together. It's, it's such a good, it's such a good question. So, you know, there's lots of, there's been lots of, you know, um, I think we still don't know a lot. I think there's a lot we still don't know about it. Um, sometimes women will say to me, um, I have, I, I always have a UTI. I've had 20 UTIs in the last year. I have urinary tract infections. I have yeast infections. Um, and I'll, I'll say to them, were they cultured? Did you have these infections cultured? They said, no, no, but I know what it feels mm -hmm. like, right? So what happens? Oftentimes it will start with a woman had a yeast infection or she had a UTI. Um, you know, and it was cultured and tested and, you know, they went on antibiotics, they went on cream, they went on, you know, they had treatment for it. But what happened? Um, those nerve endings, something started misfiring with those nerve endings. And now, 
you know, they're not actually, if they go back, I always want them to, and then they go and then they call up the doctor and they say, it's back again. And, you know, then they prescribe them, you know, medication again, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes it's so important for them to just make sure they go back and get it cultured because it's just a sensation where those nerve endings, something goes haywire after an infection or an illness, and they start to fire, sending signals to the brain that there's an infection there, that there's pain there. When in fact, it's just, there is nothing. And they go to the doctor and the doctor cultures it and they're like, there's no yeast there. Everything is fine. There's no infection there. Everything is fine, but they're having the same symptoms they had. It feels exactly the way it did when they had this yeast infection six months ago. So we know that sometimes people have had a, um, you know, an infection for whatever reasons that we don't completely understand, you know, it could cause those nerves to keep firing. Like there's pain down there. Um, sometimes women can have surgery, you know, there's surgical, whether it's um, a, a vag, like a delivery where they've had a lot of scar tissue, um, you know, a vacuum delivery or a episiotomy where um, there's been damage to the pelvic floor muscles and they're very raw and sensitive. And that could certainly cause pain or women who've had surgery and, you know, even sometimes an abdominal surgery or, you know, a surgery in, in that area. And that could cause pain and dysfunction. Sometimes it could be an orthopedic reason. You know, I always say like, we can't forget that, you know, physical as physical therapists that pelvic health physical therapy is really just um, orthopedics in, in a canal, right? Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we're just, we're orthopedic therapists like an elbow or a shoulder, but it's just the muscles that are inside the canal of the vagina. So, or the rectum. So sometimes it could be an orthopedic reasons, like there's something going on at the hip itself that's causing those muscles to do something funky, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. something funky is going on at the SI joint or at the hip or at the junction of the hip. And that's causing those muscles to um, get all wonky. And you have to kind of clear that out and make sure there's nothing going on there because that could also cause pain. Um, so there are lots of different reasons. And I think that really what's important is when, if people are having this pain or having difficulty that they go to somebody to be evaluated because there's so many different reasons about why this could right. be happening. Um, you know, so, you know, I will, and I will say, um, you know, I think that a lot of people, um, when women come in saying that they're having pain with sex, um, a lot of times people will ask them, you know, we'll screen them for abuse. And I'll just put this out there. You know, they'll ask them if they've had experiences, you know, being touched inappropriately. Um, and I think that women who are in pain, you know, some feel delegitimized. They're like, they're, you know, they're saying that they think that something bad must have happened to me for me to have this pain. And many women who have pelvic pain have no history of abuse. Mm -hmm. Nothing has ever happened to them. Um, nothing traumatic. I'm sorry, I presume the majority. I'm guessing the you know, it, you know it, it's hard to know, mm. but you know of what percentage of women. But but that being fun. said, mm. but that being said, mm. of women who have a history of abuse, a very large percentage of That's them do develop pelvic pain. So if a woman has had a history of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, in her history, um, it's very important um, that she you know that that she seek treatment for that because very often that can manifest and become, you know, very, pelvic pain is very common in the population of women who've had sexual abuse. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean that women who've had abuse, who have pelvic pain have all been, have been abused, God forbid, but it means that of women who've had that kind of history, the likelihood of them developing pelvic pain is high, is higher in that population than the rest of the population. Right. I, I would reframe that for people who are being sensitive about being asked that in this particular situation and that today we're supposed to be screening adult women for abuse at every visit. We are. Thank God. Thank God. So for that. I think that people should think this is just something that has to happen, not because they're trying to ascribe my pain to my having a higher risk of abuse, but just to make sure that isn't missed as part of the program. That's all.
yeah, comprehensive treatment, you know, um, being able to make sure we're addressing all parts of that person and all parts of the history of what their body has been through, whether it's surgery, whether it's, you know, um, you know, a, a doctor's visit that didn't go well or a, a procedure that was painful or, you know, it's all part of their history and it all plays a part into who they are and how they present that day. Right. So what you're saying is women who've been abused are at significantly higher risk of these problems, even though probably the majority of women with these problems, which are exceedingly common, have not been abused, although it's hard to tell, number one. And the other thing I'm thinking of is mental health issues like anxiety and depression. I'm guessing that it's a similar situation. And those problems are very common, especially nowadays. So there's a high, um, there's a high um, number of women who have pelvic pain who have depression. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is it causational? Is it depression that causes the pelvic pain? Anorexia, right. Is it the pelvic pain that causes depression? Like if you're living with chronic pain, that's going to take a toll on you. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, there's no, there's no causative, you know, the research hasn't shown a causative effect, but I think it's important for people to, you know, be sensitive and be being in touch with their emotional well-being while they're going through these kinds of struggles, any kind of, you know, God forbid, chronic pain issue. Right you know, like you spoke about a little bit on the podcast about functional right. medicine, right. is mm -hmm. that you know, looking at the whole person and understanding that this is going to take, a, this may take a really toll on the person's well-being from an emotional and physical perspective, because we know the neshama and the goof are so intertwined right. and right. That, you know, we don't live in an isolation. It's not, you know, and um, I think that being able to seek out appropriate support um, is really important and a really important part of the healing process for women sometimes. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter which came first. It's it doesn't matter. Exactly. And I, I'm just thinking that part of the comprehensive treatment would probably involve mental health, you know, counseling as well, if needed. It can be absolutely, you know, if needed, absolutely, you know, um, and, and just going for that as well. I'm sorry, say it again. It's reasonable to screen for that as well. Once you're, you're screening for abuse, you should be screening for mental health as well. Absolutely. Not absolutely. because they're saying it's all in your head, <laughs> which, you know, seems to interpret for people it's not real. Right. What happens in your head, what happens in your body is real and they interact. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I have to say that all day long. I say, it's not like your brain is a balloon that's like hanging, flying away from right? you. <laughs> it's attached. Right. Absolutely. So whether it, you know, triggered the problem or the problem is triggering, you know, the anxiety slash depression, it needs to be treated. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I think that that is, is a good introduction to the, um, that particular category of problems. Um, and I'm realizing now that we're not gonna have time to get, get to everything. Do we have a little time to talk about incontinence just a little? Oh, I'd love it. I love talking about incontinence. Okay, um, go. So, uh, so I mean, I, I, just to sum up the thing about pelvic pain is I think what's mm -hmm. most important for women to know is um, that there's help. It's mm -hmm. not, God forbid, a death sentence. Mm -hmm. You can get better, you can get, a hundred percent better. You can have, you can have sex without pain. It's possible. Um, you know, and, and, and with good treatment, you know, God willing, it's likely. So, you know, please, you know, reach out, um, you know, you know, people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to tell their doctor they're having pain, you know, please get help. Please reach out. There's so many people out there who can help you. Um, don't suffer silently. Right. And you your know? doctor cannot be surprised. And the, yes, and they won't be, you know, and, you know, and I think that um, for women to know that there's help out there and that they shouldn't suffer silently, you know, how many women have told me that they, you know, that there's, you know, they're screaming and they just grin and bear it and they just feel like this is what they have to do. And please don't live with that kind of pain. There's so much help out there and you shouldn't have to live that way. Um, so that's, that's, I think, the most important take home message. Um, and, and also, um, 
in terms of, so urine, back to your incontinence. So urine incontinence, um, it's, you know, extremely, also it's one of those things that women just thought like, this is just what happens, you know, you get older, you have babies, you start leaking urine, it's not normal, you know? And, and what's interesting is to find out is that even elite athletes have this problem. You know, I was just our study was like a crazy number of, you know, elite athletes were leaking women who are at the gym, like 63% of them were leaking, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I think that it's important to kind of the stigma of, you know, a women thinking that just because there's a whole aisle in Walmart and target for urinary incontinence products, that doesn't mean that that's something like we have to live with. Um, and I think, you know, so, you know, physical therapy could be tremendously helpful for women with pelvic floor dysfunction, with leaking of urine. It could be um, what we call stress incontinence. Uh, so I guess we differentiate between the two, three main types of urinary incontinence that we, that we see. Stress incontinence, that means you cough, sneeze, laugh, jump, run, dance in the chasana, whatever it is, and you leak urine. And I, it's so heartbreaking when they tell me, I, you know, it, it interferes with their life. They don't get up and dance the chasana anymore because they're going to leak. They don't go to the gym and then they don't exercise because they leak every time they exercise or they can't, you know, they sneeze, they cough and their, and their urine is, is leaking. Um, fecal leakage, you know, having um, fecal smearing, you know, bowel leakage, uh, you know, also so embarrassing for women to admit that that's going on, but it happens. It happens and it's not normal, just like health care is not normal. It's not normal, but it's so treatable. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes physical therapy could be extremely effective for women. Um, sometimes women have a really hard time after delivery, after having babies of kind of finding those muscles again, they really just, you know, their body doesn't even remember what it's supposed to do anymore. Um, and so kind of waking up those muscles and strengthening those muscles and helping women use those muscles, um, to kind of help them pull back. Um, and sometimes, you know, people say I do hundred Kegels a day, you know, Kegels meaning like exercise right. really tighten their pelvic floor muscles that people don't know, tighten like you're holding back urine. Um, and I don't understand why I'm still leaking. And what we understand about urinary incontinence is that it's not just the bottom. It's Kegels are, you know, they're good for just the muscles at the bottom, mm -hmm. but what goes into our body's stability to be able to hold back urine is really the whole pelvic girdle. It's really a symphony of muscles that work together to give us stability to hold all that up, to be able to close and open those sphincters. I always say, you know, it's like a share when we say, we have all these holes in, you know, sphincters that need to be opening and closing under voluntary control. And when it doesn't work, it, it's, it's so hard for women to, to deal with, but we can, you know, we can help work that whole system to strengthen it. So women are not having leakage anymore and they could go back to doing what they love to do. Right. I'm really curious what you actually do. I thought it yeah. might have been those Kegels. <laughs> yeah, no, what would we do? So what happens if you're coming to my office for urinary incontinence? So the first thing we want to know is what's going on? Like when, when are you leaking? And then there's so right, and then there's urgent continence, right? Women who, um, they, they, they're, they're fine. They're driving in their car. And then as soon as they park their car in their driveway, they have to go and they have to go right now. And as soon as they are getting the key in the door, or maybe they're standing over the toilet, trying to get their pantyhose down fast enough, all of a sudden, you know, they, they have leakage going on there. It's like, what happened with the hour drive back from, you know, from Lakewood? I didn't have any leakage then, but the minute I got to my driveway, forget it, it's over. We call that urgent continence. It means that the leakage happens when, uh, when we have an urge to urinate and we can't hold it. And then there's mixed incontinence when they have both. They have stress. They, they're, I say they're doubly blessed. They have leaking with coughing, sneezing, laughing, jumping, and also urge. And that means it's called mixed. There are a few other kinds as well, but those are the three major ones that we treat. Um, so what happens when you come to my office for that? 
we take a look at what's going on. You know, we're going to do a postural screening. We're going to take a look at what muscles are firing, what muscles are weak, which muscles are um, working in the right range of motion, which muscles are, you know, just like if you came to me with an elbow, you know, that wasn't working the way you wanted it. You know, you can't pick up your soup pot because your muscles are weak. I'm looking is, is it a shoulder problem? Is it an elbow problem? Is it your biceps that are weak? Is it your triceps? Are they not firing well together? Whatever it is. So we're going to evaluate and find out where is the problem? Because for some women, different women, it's different problems. And oftentimes what we know about urinary incontinence is that it's not necessarily just weak muscles. It also is a problem with the pressure systems in the body mm. and that the way that they're regulating intra-abdominal pressure or the pressures in their body is causing them to have this problem. So um, we're looking at how they're managing their pressures, like how, you know, if they're standing um, very slouched over, you know, like it's funny because it's almost like pregnancy is like predisposes us um, to both be weak and also be totally malaligned, which is like the perfect combination for, you know, urinary incontinence. Because, you know, I see women who are like 75 years old, their last baby was 40 years ago or 30 years ago, and they come in and they're still walking like a pregnant lady because their body, nobody ever gave them the memo, you know, you're not pregnant anymore. So they're still standing with their shoulders rolled over. They're, you know, they're standing with no abdominal control. Their stomach is like pushed out. And, you know, and they're not using their, what we call the core muscles to hold mm -hmm. themselves up because they just never reconfigured the way that they hold themselves. Um, and so that kind of makes them have a hard time um, maintaining um, upright position in, in, in a good alignment. And we know that muscles work best when they're in a certain alignment, right? So, and people say, well, I have great posture. But when you look at them, you know, they're maybe not recruiting, they're not activating the right muscles to do the right things. So, um, you know, we're going to take a look at what muscles is, is it, you know, what muscles are working, what muscles are not working, and we're going to, um, you know, strengthen them. Um, we'll also take a look at, you know, what's going on, what's making them leak. Is it a certain activity? Is it just when they cough? Is it just when they sneeze? Is it when they go from sit to stand, when they, you know, stand up from their chair that that's when they leak? Um, so helping women get better strategies of movement. You know, as physical therapists, we're movement specialists. We can look at how they're using their body. Sometimes the patterns we get into and the way we move our body um, is not serving us well, right? So we need to change those ways that we do things so that we're getting the outcome we want. Just like if I had a, a baseball player and I, they, he's having a problem pitching, I don't treat baseball players. I don't even know how to play baseball, but let's just say I was, you know, I'm going to look at how they pitch and I want to look at how their muscle is working doing that activity. So I'm looking at how they move. Um, and then we'll prescribe the right, you know, get them, make sure, you know, there was a great study that looked at women who thought they were doing Kegels, right? And then they actually looked at the vagina while they were doing the Kegel. And what they found was like this crazy percentage of women were not actually tightening the vagina, the right muscles. They were tightening maybe their, their, their rectum. They were holding their, you know, you know, holding, holding their anal sphincter. They were, or they were tightening their thighs together. They thought they were doing a Kegel. So being evaluated by a physical therapist, a pelvic health physical therapist, someone who's trained, I should specify, in knowing what they're looking at and being able to treat the pelvic floor because not all physical therapists can do this. It really takes a lot of specific um, extensive training to specialize in this field um, to be able to look at it and say, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're not even doing it right. Maybe what you think you're doing, you're not actually doing. Um, so no wonder it's not working. <laughs> so um, being able to, you know, find out where, what's going wrong. Um, is something they're eating, making their bladder irritated, right? We call those bladder irritants, you know? 
you know, coffee is a, is a great example. <laughs> you know, don't tell me chocolate is. <laughs> chocolate, citrus, <laughs> tomatoes, um, pineapple, anything citric, um, coffee. Like I'm like, I'm not taking anyone's coffee away, but you should know that if you drink right. coffee, you might have a harder time holding back your urine. So, mm. you know, kind of helping people connect, connect to their bodies better. Do you do this by telehealth as well? I'm just wondering. So it's interesting because I think um, with um, with COVID, um, you know, um, it's made all of us kind of um, practice our fields a little differently. And um, I never would have thought that I could, but actually I have been. Um, you know, there's certainly when people cannot get to, you know, cannot get to uh, a physical therapist, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, ideally in-person visit is always better. Um, but certainly there could be a benefit to, you know, telehealth consultations. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's not my, it's not my, it's not the yes, ideal, it's not the ideal, but it certainly could be very helpful, you know, both with pelvic pain, um, and, you know, women who are having difficulty with intercourse, you know, nobody's body parts are, you know, being exposed on the screen, but, you know, being able, and also with urinary incontinence, sometimes it could be really helpful just, you know, consultation by telehealth. Yeah. It, you know, it's, we've been, we've become very resourceful. Right, right, right. So this is amazing. I, I, we really only scratched the top, the, the surface here. We've only done a little bit of, of some of the topics, um, but I thank you so much. We're going to have to do part two. I would love it. I would love it. Some topic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay. Be well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.